Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the acquisitions editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. everyone and thanks for listening. This is Roxanne Serta, Senior Editor with CNT Publishing with Behind the Seams. Today I'll be talking with Cindy Cristella. Cindy's a veteran award-winning art quilter, teacher, and author. When not quarantining, Cindy travels extensively teaching, exhibiting, and selling her work across the U.S. Her work can be most easily described as improv art quilting And much of her teaching focuses on giving quilters the tools and techniques they need to express themselves in their own art quilts. So welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Roxanne. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. It's been a while since we had a chance to talk. It has. (laughs) Well, and it's always hard to not start out the conversation with, what's your next book? So I won't do that. (laughs) Thank you. But, you know, I thought instead I would start with something that you and I actually haven't ever talked about, surprisingly, uh, and that was that you were an artist first and then a quilter. Like, how do you feel like that progression um, affected your approach to quilting? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I've always been a maker, I guess, even as a kid, you know, I was always making things. I was trying, you know, um, and I, as a child, I was always frustrated because things didn't turn out the way I saw them in my head. And so I was constantly, um, you know, trying to, you know, trying to figure that out. Um, and I think that because I have, I have a, a, an undergraduate degree in art history, um, and I did a lot of studio art, uh, at, you know, as, as I was, uh, you know, as a young person. Um, and I feel like that ap- affects my approach to quilting because I look at it from, uh, a design standpoint. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an artist and my medium happens to be fabric and thread, but I'm still really, um, concerned about the color line shape and for quilting the texture that I'm creating in my work. I remember seeing a magazine article in a women's magazine when I was in college about um, about quilting. And, oh, I was just so enthralled with the idea. Um, I I mean, I knew about quilts, but I didn't, you know, I'd never really tried it. And um, so the story that I tell um, is I thought that since I knew how to sew already, that making a queen size quilt for my first project would be no problem. And of course, you know how that probably turned out, not exactly the way I planned, but I was hooked. I gave up garment making and I've been a quilter ever since. You know, um, at some point I really would love to do a survey that kind of tries to get at the answer or the, the reasons why so many people, myself included, pick a ridiculously large or complex project for your first attempt. Yeah, I know. I think you want, I think you want, some, you know, you want, you don't want to make a potholder, you know, you want some project that's going to, you know, just, just 
define you, I guess. I don't know. I just, I just remember wanting to just dive in and, 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 and grab it all. And, um, you know, it was, <laughs> I finished that quilt. It was, you know, it turned out, it turned out fine, but I didn't know what I was doing. And, and because I, I had no teacher except this, you know, whatever little bits and pieces were in this, this, this magazine article. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, it's funny, but to a person, I think it, everyone I've ever spoken to has done this, the exact same thing. Um, well, and you, when you did start quilting, you began as a traditional quilt maker, um, which is very different from what you do now. And so how did your work evolve into what you do today from that traditional background? Um, that's a great question too. I mean, I, you know, I'm not one of those who, who doesn't, you know, want the Q word to be attached to my, you know, to my, to my name or my work. I'm proud of coming from a traditional quilt making background and I am, you know, respectful of all of the traditions that, that, you know, that, that came uh, before me. Um, I made quilts. Uh, I was, I was working, I was actually a financial journalist and I was working and then I was raising two kids and I didn't have a lot of time for um, real, um, you know, real creativity, but I always needed to be making something. So the traditional quilt making filled that role. But then um, over time, I realized, I looked around and I said, you know, all of these things that I have on my beds and my walls and are somebody else's design. And I just, it just became really important to me personally to, you know, sort of make my, you know, have my own mark on what I was creating. That's probably because of, you know, my, my artistic background, you know, I, I want, I didn't want to just follow patterns. I wanted to create art and so I evolved over time, you know, first just tweaking the traditional patterns and then, you know, eventually um, moving into this totally improv um, place where I live now. I'm very happy. <laughs> that sounds fun. And it, it sounds like something that took quite a long time to kind of develop. Um, but are there other starting points that might work for somebody who really likes what you do, but doesn't come from a traditional quilting background? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you just dive right in. And I think, you know, and I think people who, I mean, I have students that from, who come from all sorts of, of, of different backgrounds. And, and a lot of them are attracted to sort of the improvisational nature of this type of creativity you know, there's no rules and you're not following a pattern. And so if you come from, you know, if you're a painter, for example, um, you can come into the, um, you know, sort of the improv, the, the artistic uh, design from a totally different viewpoint, but be very successful. All you need to, you know, you need to learn how to sew a quarter inch seam, but that's it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's very accessible um, to people who, as long as they, you know, I have had students who came into class and didn't know how to put two pieces of fabric together. Um, and, you know, but that's easily rectified, you know, people, you know, people, people learn that quickly. So. Yeah, that is kind of the, uh, the easiest part. <laughs> yeah, it is the easiest part. You know, you just have to put two pieces of fabric together and run them through that machine with a quarter inch seam and you're good. <laughs> Exactly. And so speaking of that, you know, your your teaching, your classes, your books, they all encourage cultures to kind of let go of the rules and discover their inner creativity. Um, but you 
you note that they still need some sort of parameters. So can you talk a bit about the parameters that you use when you, you work on wilts? Sure. And I do feel like, I mean, I, you know, my whole um, sort of approach is no patterns, no templates, no rules equals a lot of fun. Um, but that can be intimidating a little bit for um, for people who are used to having a pattern to follow to tell them what to do next. And so what I do is I set out some very simple, you know, sort of guidelines just to give structure to um, to the project. Um, I start out with, you know, and am I going to use warm colors or cool colors? Do I want a happy energetic quilt or a more, you know, calm, um, reflective quilt? Um, and then I just start, I just dive in. I'm a very intuitive um, uh, artist. And so I don't do a lot of sketching. I don't, you know, although I, I encourage that if that, if that helps people. Um, so for a recent quilt that I made, um, I started out with making four and a half inch squares of, um, you know, just sort of scrappy improv blocks. Um, and I, I decided that I was going to have, each block was going to have a little white in it. Each block was going to have um, a little black or dark gray, but I wasn't going to use any yellow. So the size of that, of that unit, the type of um, color palette that I was going to use was the starting point for that. And then, and then it evolved, it evolved from there. Okay. So the parameters aren't necessarily the same for every quilt. You kind yeah. of set them up project by project. Right. Right. And, you know, and sometimes people say, well, you know, where do you get your ideas from? And, and that for me, because my work is improvisational and abstract rather than representational, that is usually something to do with the colors, lines, and shapes that I want to play with. Gotcha. Well, and the other thing that you've, you've talked about before, or you and I have talked about before, is that um, not knowing how your design is going to turn out before you start is one of your favorite parts of the process. Um, but in your students in particular, um, do, you, do any of them sometimes find that to be kind of a stumbling block? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, for me, the, the sort of the, the discovery of it is, you know, is, is, is half the fun. If I, you know, see a picture and I know that my quilt's going to look just like that when I get through, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm not so interested. Um, but people who are used to following patterns are used to having that, you know, are used to having that structure. And so um, I do a lot in my classes and I try to, you know, especially in the new book, Adventures and Improv Quilts, I'm trying to, to show people sort of the process that I go through um, as a, you know, as a, as an artist, um, to, to go from that original idea, especially just making, you know, making blocks or making units and then, and then, um, arranging them, uh, on the design wall until you have something that you like. Well, and so I'm interested to kind of hear a little bit about how you kind of get people over that, because I'm exactly how you described in the beginning is that I've got a day job, I have two kids that keep me pretty busy. And so patterns are kind of my go-to because you know what they're going to look like. You know, you're going to like it at the end, but I think I would find it hard to kind of break out of that mold. So how do you, how do you get people to kind of stop it and start in a different way? Well, I tell them that I'm perfectly fine with them taking one of my quilts and, and using it as inspiration. 
Um, and so a lot of times, um, one of the reasons I love teaching improv and writing about improv is because, you know, everybody's quilt's going to be different. But as you say, that's not the way everybody, you know, everybody likes to do it. So I always in my classes, I say, you know, I'm going to show you a bunch of different ways that I have put these, these elements and these units together. And if you want to take one of these ideas and use it as your inspiration and start out that way, um, then I'm happy to help you do that. Uh, and that, that works for a lot of people. Uh, you let some of us try baby steps. <laughs> well, I think you. I think it's really important as a teacher to meet your students where they are. I tell my students at the beginning of every class. Uh, you know, I say, my job is not necessarily to make all of you improv artists. My job is hopefully to allow you to time and space to express your own creativity, and maybe you'll come away. I'll give you, you know, lots of tips and tricks, and maybe you'll come away with a few little nuggets of information that will um, that will help you in your own artistic practice. The other thing I say is, there's no way to make a mistake in my class, and you can just hear people, you know, exhale. Uh, after that, because, you know, because we're all worried about doing it wrong. Um, and so I feel like, you know, giving them that permission to, you know, they can't make a mistake. And if they are stumped on where to go with their project, um, I can give them, you know, lots and lots of examples of ways I've put, you know, improv blocks together or improv curves and insets or whatever it is that that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And so the other thing that struck me too, and I'm, I'm jumping around just a little bit because I keep thinking of new things to ask you. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Um, you know, it's that for you, asking what if is a really important part of your process. And I found that really um, interesting. So can you explain what you mean by, you know, asking what if and how maybe a newer quilter can use that as a tool? Sure. I mean, you know, I, again, you know, going back to this idea of you don't have a pattern, um, you know, I, I make the most accessible way to do this. I talk about different ways to create improvisationally in the new book. The most accessible way for many people to do it is to make blocks or units like we're used to doing as traditional quilt makers. And so I do, I go through this process where I have them create um, different sorts of units, some curved, some, you know, some improv log cabin blocks, you know, some um, uh, stripes, uh, things like that. And then I walk them through um, various ways to put these, uh, to put these, these elements together. And I say, um, I think the most important thing about the, the what if idea is um, don't settle for the first thing. You know, I like to, I like to, as a, as an artist myself, I tend to want to push myself. So I, you know, if I put up, uh, 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 you know, the elements in, uh, in, in one, you know, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it does work, you know, your first idea is your best idea, but not always. And so I encourage people to, you know, to, um, you know, to keep sort of pushing, keep auditioning, uh, lines and shapes and colors. Um, the other way to, to, to use what if in your, um, in your, in your, uh, in your process is using it as inspiration. So I had a quilt, uh, I had some sort of, 
you know, pastel sherbety green fabric that I had in my stash and it just wasn't playing well with anything. And so I said, you know, what if, what could I do to make, you know, to use this fabric, challenge myself to, um, to, to make something out of it that, you know, that's interesting. So that's another way that what if can serve as a, you know, sort of a, an inspiration, um, can serve as an inspiration, a starting point. And then it can also serve as you are creating, can serve to push you to, um, you know, to tweak that just a little bit more um, and, and come up with a, with a design that maybe you didn't think of in the first place, or that would be better than your first idea. Well, and you've, you've noted um, at least a couple of times that you can have a piece on the design wall that stays there for months um, and that you're okay with that. That's, that's important. Um, like, why would you keep something up for months? Well, so I was doing the, the, the reason is because it, it just didn't make me happy yet. You know, I want to wait to sew something up until it really makes me happy. I feel like it's the best work I can do with those particular, you know, colors, lines, and shapes. Um, and I had a quilt, um, well, uh, at the, at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, I, you know, I, I stopped traveling like everybody did. And I had a quilt that was on the design wall and I was trying to, you know, to play with it. And, um, I was trying to, you know, to, to, to make it work and, and it just didn't, I, you know, I just, I couldn't, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't giving, bringing me joy. And so, you know, so I, I walked away from it. I left it on the design wall. But I, um, I, I started working on something else uh, so that I could, you know, sort of let my subconscious mind sort of, uh, you know, deal with, with whatever it was that, that needed to change. And, and as I worked on something else, I did come up with a, with a, um, with a, a, a new plan for that piece that wasn't working. It's, I feel like I need a design wall now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm very, I feel very fortunate because I, I like to tell, tell the story. My, my husband and I downsized about 10 years ago when our kids, uh, you know, grew up and moved away. And I like to say that I got a smaller house, but a bigger studio, which works out really well for me. Um, and so now I do have a, a generous sized design wall, but I, um, I spent years, you know, just designing on a piece of batting that was tacked up at the, you know, the, the ceiling in the guest room and it wasn't very big, but the, the, the good thing about that idea is that if you, if you have a piece of batting and you have a quilt up on the, up on, on the wall and it doesn't work, you can just roll it up and put up a new piece of batting. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be anything huge, you know, the, if you, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have space. It, and that kind of describes a little bit like leaving something up and moving it around and keep switching pieces until you, it really talks to you. Um, th since the first time we started talking, the first book we worked on, um, you've always emphasized that your approach to teaching um, or to, to explaining to other people how you do what you do gives the quilter permission to play um, which is fun. Playing is fun. So what do, what do you mean by, um, permission to play? I, I think that we quilt because we like it, right? It, it shouldn't be a forced march. And, um, and so when I'm, um, I'm, I, you know, I think 
that it's it's sort of a misconception. I say this in my lectures all the time that that improv is is um, you know just sort of a kitchen sink sort of a of a thing, and you just make all these these pieces and parts and throw them up on the on the wall or on the floor and 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 see what sticks. Um, for me, it's much more intentional um, um, process. But so I'm going to make a whole bunch of units or curves or or whatever. Um, they aren't all going to go into the same quilt, most likely. And so I'm just playing with them. I'm like, you know, I think of it sometimes like your, um, your uh, dealing cards, perhaps, you know, you keep arranging them and re rearranging them or, um, you know, it's just the, the, when you, when, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, you know, there were these, um, this is kind of a weird memory that just came to my head. You know, there were these little, um, these little, uh, I think they were called color forms and they were oh, yeah. little things that, you know, they were like these little plasticky, um, dolls that were on a flat, uh, a flat, um, thing that stuck and you could, you could change their outfits and you could, you could change their surroundings. And I think of it kind of like that, you know, that you're just, you're just allowing your, your creativity to, you know, to, 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 to come out. We don't, we don't all, um, you know, all of us as adults, a lot of times we've, you know, we sort of repressed that, you know, cause we have day jobs and we have kids and we have pets and we have, you know, things that we have to, you know, dinner has to be on the table every night and all that. And so I try to, I try to, um, you know, to encourage people to, to try to, you know, let that go for a few hours and just, you know, just sort of get in touch with your inner child. Yeah. So by the way, did you know that color forms are back? No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know where, I, where I dredged that up from in my memory, but I know exactly what you mean. And those are back and they're available. So I, I think a lot of people will either remember them or know them from recently. Okay. Um, that's fun. I don't know that I ever realized that when you, when you make your base units, you make more than will probably go into the finished quilt. Yes. And, um, and that's what the leftover basket is for. Um, you know, I have a leftover basket. I also have baskets where scraps live because I'm a, I'm, I have been a scrap quilter from the beginning and I keep scraps and I, you know, when I'm, that's one of the things I do when I'm stuck, you know, if I, you know, cause I get stuck just like everybody. And so I have these scraps that are organized on my, on my um, cutting table by roughly in color families. So I'll just dump them out and, and just start sewing, you know, you know, sewing little, little little blocks out of them, not knowing what they might, what they might um, do, but you never know when something that didn't work in one quilt is going to be the, the, the seed of an idea for a new one. And that's happened to me more than once. So, you know, periodically I, I, I go through the leftover pile and see what's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of color, you know, in both, and I keep going back to your books because that's what you and I worked on together, but um you know, and that's where you explain a lot about your process. And we get to talk about that, you know, quite a bit. And for you, the starting point is almost always a color palette. And so why is that? Um, I think I've always been drawn to color. And I am known now for, you know, fairly fearless approach to color, but it wasn't always that way. I tell this in my, in my classes and my lectures, I made a lot of blue quilts in the beginning because that was, you know, that was my, you know, that was my comfort zone. I think I, I just, um, 
I respond to color. It, it energizes me. And so, um, again, because my work is improvisational and non-representational, I am um, mostly, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I start. So I, I either have a color palette that I want to play with, or I have um, a shape uh, that I want to, um, that I want to work with. And, and so those two things go sometimes hand in hand, sometimes one after the other, depending. Well, and just um, for anybody listening, I think when you say non-representational, right, it's like um, there are a lot of art quilts that um, end up being something like a landscape where you're like, that's a tree, that's a mountain. And like that doesn't describe your work at all. Exactly. No, it's more it's more geometric. It's more, um, um, you know, just just, you know, colors, lines and shapes, as I as as I have said, it's not not going to to be a a portrait or a a puppy dog or a landscape. I do say there are some times though, when I look at your work and I find it fun to, to accidentally see something in there, like an eyelash or, you know, like eyelashes or something where you're like, I don't think that's what you were making, but it's like, you can almost see it in there. It's kind of fun. Exactly. I made this quilt um, recently, last couple of years as a large scale quilt with, um, you know, these large scale freehand cut curves. And, and I was going for the idea of a, um, you know, sort of a pod shape that I thought of as a fish, you know, and um, one of my kids uh, saw it and, and they said, Mom, that looks like an eye. I and think it's the same quilt. <laughs> well, yeah, And you, you know, you can't unsee it then. So but that's one of the cool things about it. You know, people can bring their, 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 their own, um, you know, their own lens to it. So do you encourage your students to kind of also start with color as a starting point or? I do, because I think, you know, I think that, that that's where, that's where, you know, people, I mean, not everybody feels comfortable with color though. And so sometimes for some people, that's a little more difficult. Um, and so I do try um, in all my classes, I'm, you know, I'm happy to, you know, to go over uh, color and fabric choices uh, with, with, with students. Um, and again, encourage them to use one of my color palettes if they, you know, if, if, if they're feeling stuck. Um, you know, I get a lot of people in my classes um, that are new to improv. And, you know, so they, you know, they are coming at it from a pattern based background where, you know, the pattern will say you need, you know, a blue, a green, a a yellow and a, you know, and a white. And, um, and my process is a little different than that, although I do give um, some uh, suggestions for choosing a color palette um, that uh, seems seems to help people, um, you know, at least get started. That's like the start of the process. But what I think is interesting is that you, you start with color, but then you spend quite a bit of time on the actual quilting. Um, So I feel like you start with color and you end with texture. So why is that your approach? Um, I think because one of the reasons that I am an artist who creates with fabric and thread is that opportunity that we have to add that texture to our compositions at the end. We get the opportunity where a painter, you know, I mean, you can, you can put paint on with, you know, with a, a palette knife and, 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 and get, get texture. But, but I'm talking about texture that, you know, that is, um, it's part of the design is, you know, it's not just, 
my, at least the way I do it, it's not usually, it's more than just a way to hold the three layers together. I'm, um, I started, I was a traditional quilt maker and I was a hand quilter. And so um, learning how to free motion quilt was a difficult process for me. I had to be dragged into it kicking and screaming. But once, <laughs> once I got good at it, once I got into it, I really enjoyed it. And I felt like it was, you know, it was another opportunity for me to add some artistry to, you know, to, to my work um, that I, you know, that I still try to do today. Well, and one thing that I always find interesting, because, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time to do it, but I do try to like pop around and read authors blogs and see what they're up to while we're not working together, you know, um, is, that you you spend a fair amount of time talking about what you're learning. Um, like I can't remember what I stumbled across, but you were you were talking about like kind of teaching yourself to do matchstick quilting or or faux matchstick quilting. And so I think that's really interesting that you're not just, you know, I'm an expert, but you talk about what you're still learning. Oh, absolutely. I think that's incredibly important as, you know, as, as an artist, as a teacher, um, you know, you never, that's, you're never going to know it all. And, and, and learning from other people um, has really been, uh, well, I'm a self-taught artist to start with. I, I, you know, I didn't, I never took a class with anybody until I'd been quilting for almost 10 years. And, um, and so uh, particularly, um, during the pandemic that's been, I've been teaching and lecturing on Zoom, you know, almost exclusively, but I've also had the opportunity to take some classes with, with, um, with people whose work I admire. And I think that there's, there's always something new to learn. And, and, um, you know, I, you know, I welcome other teachers to take my classes too, because the, the fun thing about improv is that, you know, you might be using the same, you know, kind of techniques, but everybody comes into it with their own, you know, their own um, take, you know, their own creativity. So if, if, if I'm doing, you know, um, um, if I learn, you know, some technique from another teacher, uh, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll incorporate it into my, into my own practice. So, um, um, I just think it's 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 good to stretch and to and to and to and to grow um, because otherwise you know you get stale. That's true. Well, and it's so much easier right now to take classes from people that would be normally inaccessible. Which is is, I think if there's a silver lining, that's kind of the silver lining. Absolutely, yeah, I think so. And and I, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's uh, for me, it's absolutely part of my part of my process to, you know, to 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 you know to to find other other um, ideas to explore. Speaking of the last couple of years, um, which we won't mention because it's like you know <laughs> summoning evil, um, but it's the last couple of years have definitely impacted everyone's. Um, their lives, their, their quilts, their, their art. Um, and I've seen that you've actually spent some of the time that we've been at home and doing things like playing with atypical palettes, which would be atypical for you, not atypical for a different quilter working with prints, which is something I haven't ever seen you do. Um, and then really spending some time playing with like large freehand curves. So 
how is it that you picked things that you wanted to experiment with or play with? Well, a lot of it comes from, you know, um, questions that I'm asked while I'm teaching. Um, and the one about, um, uh, solids and prints, I started, I, 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 you know, worked with prints for, for years and years and years. The reason that I started working with, um, solid fabrics is because I feel like they're more, um, they're more painterly, you know, the lines and shapes are more graphic, um, than they are with prints, but I have students, you know, I don't tell my students that, that they have to use solids. So I have students who are interested in using, um, either only prints or solids and prints combined. So I thought, well, I probably need to make some, you know, make some pieces that use, um, that use particularly solids and prints combined so that I can talk about that more intelligently. Um, and the, the whole idea of the, the, um, the um, sort of new to me color palettes was just, just a way to challenge myself. Um, you know, I feel like I, I know from experience, you know, that I, my blue period when all I was making was blue quilts, it's easy to get into a rut. And so pushing to include, um, you know, either a full range of value from white through, you know, light, medium, dark to black or, or dark brown or charcoal um, is a way, one way to push yourself. And another way is to use, like I made this quilt, um, you know, during the, the, during 2020, um, I made a, a quilt that was really uh, one of my favorites and it used these um, dusty um, uh, uh, sort of rose and taupe and brown, you know, I usually am kind of bright and cheerful. Mm -hmm. It was, but it was a very, you know, sort of subdued, um, less saturated color palette. And, um, and it was interesting to, you know, to sort of push myself in that way. And this, the large scale curves are just something I'm, I'm, I'm really, really interested in. And I've been working on for a few years. Yeah. I saw, I saw the dusty, the dusty rose and brown quilt that you're describing. It's really pretty. Thanks. Yeah. And, and it's funny, it's still identifiably yours, even though it's not in colors, I would have guessed. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm glad to hear you say you think so. <laughs> yes. And um, I know I'm get, we're giving visual teasers to people who are only listening, which is kind of rude. Um, but you can always go over and, and check out Cindy's artwork on her website. Um, but it's some of the large scale curve um, pieces are really phenomenal. So definitely check those out. Um, and so I know, so the last couple of years has definitely shaped kind of, you know, what you've been doing. Has it also kind of changed your teaching or what you're teaching or, or your approach? Well, sure. I, I, you know, I, I have been teaching exclusively on Zoom since April of 2020. I was supposed to go, um, do a workshop in person, um, just recently. And I had to, I had to, uh, we had to move it to zoom because we had to. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, so I, I have to admit, I was a little nervous about teaching in person again, because I've become reliant on, you know, using being, you know, having people be able to, to, to watch my videos and be everybody be able to see, you know, exactly what I'm trying to present. Um, you know, and, uh, and not, you know, not all, uh, venues have, uh, the ability to show a PowerPoint, 
presentation in person. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about that um, when I do uh, go back to, to teaching in person. But I think that I've become a lot more um, methodical, I guess, you know, I don't think of myself as a methodical person as an improv artist, but as a teacher, I become a lot more methodical and thinking through all of the steps that need to happen to, you know, to make, um, you know, to make an improv, an improv quilt and to, to demonstrate it reliably. And you also have to be able to troubleshoot without being able to touch what your student is doing. That's been a huge, huge um, uh, learning curve because if I'm teaching a curved piecing um, idea and I have had students who just, you know, everybody learns differently. And for some people, you know, the, that whole curve thing is just a little bit counterintuitive. And so trying to be able to show somebody through the screen how to do, um, you know, how to troubleshoot what they're um, having an issue with has been, has been, uh, you know, has been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of that. And I've interviewed a lot of teachers in the past year. Um, that would be tough. Cause you just want to point at it and say here, you know, turn right. it. if you were there, you could just take it and say, you know, here is the, here's the way you do it, but you can't do that on zoom. And so it requires a lot of patience and a lot of, you know, trying to think of how many different ways can I explain how to sew these curves together so that um, the person and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, as I said, everybody learns differently and I'm a visual learner. So the videos help me, but if you're not, then there has to be a different way to show it. Yeah. Well, and that is kind of one of the cool things with, it's the drawback that you can't just walk up to the student, point at it and say, you know, flip it this way instead. Right. But at least online, you do have the option of you can show the video. They've got a visual. They can rewind it and play it over and over. But then also you can add a handout or a diagram. Or, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that is a little, a little bit more fun. And you can do that and leave it there, you know, so people right. can go back to it over and over. Um, but I will say, um, you know, because anytime I'm getting ready for an interview, I do lots of different things. Um, but one of the things I do is I go take all the classes that we've got posted. And um, I have to say that when I clicked onto your teacher profile, and this is on Creative Spark, which is our online class platform, that's what I have access to. You had two, you've got two classes currently posted, and one of them really surprised me. Um, and that was your fire and ice Bargello class, which is a beautiful quilt. I, I totally want to make it. Um, but it was surprised me because it's, to me, it seems like the polar opposite of improv because it's such intentional and precise piecing. So I was, I'm interested to hear like more about that class and how it fits with your improv quilting. Great question. Um, the one thing that uh, I I made I made a bunch of bargellos um, back in the day when I was uh, when I was sort of transitioning from being a traditional quilt maker to being a more um, um, not necessarily improv at that point but more contemporary and that fire and ice quilt is very striking because it has a bright um, you know sort of of uh, 
horizontal band of of fabrics that goes through the center of it in a you know in sort of a bargello diagonal thing and then it's um it's uh got dark black and white fabrics next to that bright so they really pop and then mediums and lights and it goes out like that and so it's a really good class um for people to understand about the value of value in your you know arranging your uh fabrics so that the value the whether it's light medium or dark really you know plays a significant role in the design of the piece um one of the reasons why i um why I put that class on Creative Spark because I get asked to teach it a lot. And um, people, it's a very graphic, dynamic pattern, but it really lends itself much better to the Creative Spark style format than it does um, a live teaching format because there's just a lot of sewing seams. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of, of um, you know, of, of, I mean, students need to just come and sew. And so it's better to do that, I think, on the online platform. Um, it's also a fun, you know, but people people really enjoy it because you could make it like I did with the brights and the black and whites, but there's also all kinds of other ways to do it. Um, and and I think that it's been a very, it's been a very popular, um, it's been a very popular um, class for me. It was, that quilt was one of the, um, one of the, first quilts that I got um, accepted into an art exhibit as opposed to a quilt exhibit. Oh. Um, so it kind of has a special place in my heart. Well, it was just, it was so funny because if I had to make a guess, um, that would have been the last yeah. you know, style of quilting I would have, I would have uh, guessed. Yeah. Um, well, I don't teach that one in person anymore. I direct people to the creative spark platform where they can, um, they can, you know, see me live video and, uh, and, um, and text and photos to, 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 to make the quilt on their own. Yeah. It's definitely in my library for sure. Um, well, and the other thing that was, I think is, it, it's kind of interesting is that you wrote your second book during the pandemic. Um, and do you feel like the circumstances, you know, writing, at home and pretty isolated affected your approach um, for your second book or changed it in any way? Um, I don't, I, I thought that's an interesting question. Um, one thing that was uh, really, really helpful to me about having the book to write during the spring and summer of 2020 was that it gave my world some structure that it would not otherwise have had. And that was really good for me. Um, and I, you know, I hate, I hesitate to say that there was good things about, about 2020, but, but, um, you know, writing the book, um, was, uh, was, was really sort of a saving grace for me. And, uh, and I was, I was glad, I was glad to have that to do. I'm not sure that it, that I changed anything really because of that experience but I think I was able to sort of immerse myself more fully in the process of writing um, than I might have been able to do had I been traveling and teaching like I had been doing up until that point um, so I was grateful oh good yeah I was trying to remember when you and I started talking about the project and I couldn't remember if it was before or after QuiltCon because that's pretty much the, the the cutoff date for 
normalcy and insanity. Um, yeah, it was December of 2019. Okay, so you Christmas. and I had already been kind of cooking up our plans. And yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. And QuiltCon um, was the last thing I did. It was mine too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the standards, and this is just a fun, fun thing that it's, it's kind of like my, my personal survey question, but you have spent a lot of time traveling and teaching and exhibiting and vending and, you know, been in front of so many different people, um, with all the, those experiences, um, and all the readers you've shared with and everything, I'm sure that somewhere along the line, there was something that went very horribly wrong. Um, do you have a moment that falls into the, I'm laughing about it later category? Oh boy. Um, well, I think that, um, that I, first of all, I've been lucky, knock on wood. Um, I haven't had, uh, too many of those, um, of those moments. Um, I had a few when I was traveling, you know, around doing, uh, art shows and, and art, um, and, and art fairs, um, you know, where the tent wouldn't go up or I forgot, you know, some major element. Um, I had one experience, uh, when I was, uh, when I was, was, uh, doing a show in, um, in Michigan and I, uh, had set up my booth, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't, you know, stocked it yet. I hadn't, I hadn't hung the walls and I, I was going to go over early and and do that and went out to the where I'd left my car and my car had been towed. Oh no. And so I couldn't, you know, I mean it was just it was just a comedy of errors trying to, you know, go to the ATM and get cash to ransom my car and I had to I had to walk, you know, like 2 miles and um, you know, that was, that was a, a sort of a, of an art fair, uh, fiasco. Um, and then, um, this wasn't really a fiasco, but it's just, it was a teaching thing that I did that, that, um, so I was, I had, um, flown out to visit a guild to do a lecture and some classes and, and the class, um, was supposed to be in some kind of venue. I don't remember whether it was a church or, or a, a community center or something. And we all got there with our sewing machines and our, our fabrics and everything, and the door was locked and nobody had a key and nobody knew where the key was. <laughs> and so, and, you know, it was a six hour class. So we had a little bit of time, but we didn't want to, you know, how, what do you do? I mean, you, the students didn't want to, you know, spend their time, you know, just sort of hanging out. So I said, well, um, fortunately it was a beautiful day and uh, it wasn't, you know, in the winter or anything. And uh, so I said, well, there's a little, you know, courtyard over here. Why don't we go over here and I'll, you know, start my, you know, my, um, you know, my, my, my pre talk, um, and somebody can go try to find the key, <laughs> but we'll get, you know, we'll get the, we'll get the content going here so that we don't, we don't miss that. And, um, so it's just as a, you know, as a teacher, as a traveling, you know, artist, you just have to be flexible and, um, and, and, and that's just, that's all there is to it. You have to, you know, kind of be a glass half full girl and, uh, and just, just roll with the punches. Yes, that's true. Um, so, but what, um, what are you up to now? I know that you just had a gig that you had to change from in person to online, but, um, what else are you up to? What are you doing? Well, I have a pretty full uh, year already with, um, teaching mostly virtual still. 
Um, I do have, um, I have a, a three day in-person retreat, uh, here in Leesburg, Virginia in March, um, that, uh, I'm looking forward to a five day in-person retreat that I'm teaching in Wisconsin in August. So I'm really hoping that those are able to, to happen. Um, and I'm working on, um, a couple of new classes for, uh, Creative Spark, uh, one on, um, on, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, multiple cut curves. Um, um, and the other one is, um, still in the, in the thinking process. And then I have a, 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 a fun class that I'm really excited about that I am, um, that I'm offering based on the new book called Fabulous Freehand Curves, which is all about those, um, those large scale curves that we're cutting without templates and patterns. And, uh, I taught it, uh, to a group in, um, uh, New Brunswick, Canada, um, earlier this month. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, excellent. So I'll, I'll be on the lookout for that one too. What's next? Anything like down the road that you're looking forward to or? Um, well, I am scheduled potentially, uh, to, uh, lead a textile tour in France in 2023. So, um, that is, hasn't been finalized yet, um, uh, because it will probably be around the, uh, European patchwork, uh, conference that is held in France in September. And so we don't know exactly when that is yet. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm, I think that'll be fun. Um, not necessarily improv, but could be a lot of fun, assuming that we can travel then, um, and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just really, uh, looking forward to, I'm having such a good time, you know, um, uh, teaching. I'm so grateful that, you know, that we have this technology that allows us to continue to get together, continue to share what we love. Um, and, uh, um, so my focus for the next, you know, for the next little bit is, um, is, 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 teaching and, um, and, and sharing as much as I can with, um, with people who are following me. <laughs> well, excellent. I truly appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and hang out for a while. It's lots okay, of fun. It's, fun. it's great to see you again. And, uh, I hope that we will be able to, um, see each other again in person real soon. Yes. Knock on some more wood. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you. This is Roxy Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com.